get started this morning. We are in Genesis chapter 32 and 33. Um, we are going to do as we always do. We are going to read through the entirety of those two texts. And um, we're covering a lot of ground at one time now because increasingly, oh, uh, thank you. Um, increasingly, you know, it's supposed to be cool next Sunday. They're saying 49 was the most recent. So, um, but it is really important, especially in these, these chapters going into the end of Jacob's life and into Joseph's life, where you really need to know what comes before and what comes after specific events because they're, they're meant to be read together. They make more sense together. Um, and today is a, a good example of that. Um, and then the next one, I'm still trying to make sense of uh, because there are some things in there. I'm familiar with the stories, but I even, I mean, I'm trying to learn, okay, so what, this seems like a random story in the middle of nowhere. And, it, and I, if you're like me, you continue to learn. There's no such thing as things just being random, right? Uh, that's just not the case. Everything that's there is there for very specific reasons, okay? So um, when last we spoke, we're talking about Jacob, right? And uh, Jacob is an interesting fellow in terms of his own character. We know that he's known as a schemer. Uh, we've known uh, that uh, not only did he scheme the birthright out of his brother Esau, uh, but he also stole the birthright using deception. Uh, and then as a result, he gets deceived, right? Uh, so he kind of gets a little bit of his own me uh, medicine. Nevertheless, God chooses him. God chooses him for revelations. God chooses him. Uh, God chooses to reveal himself to Jacob uh, in some very interesting and, and supernatural ways. We talked about Jacob's ladder on his way in, well, out of the promised land uh, to uh, the land of his ancestors. He has this experience at Bethel where he sees the angels of God ascending and descending. Um, and then last week, he finally leaves, and on his way out, he encounters a, a, basically a band of angels again as he comes back into the promised land, um, but with a lot more stuff. Um, so themes. Remember the themes we've been talking about up to this point, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You've got the two brothers, and you've got siblings. This sibling, young versus old motif, the young supplanting the elder, that kind of thing happens over and over and over again. Um, so there's this idea of kind of the lineage of the serpent versus uh, the children of the promise. So going all the way, it starts with Cain and Abel, right? And the descendants of Cain. Then we see it through Noah's line of promise and then a curse that comes out of even Noah's line. You get it with Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, David and his brothers later on. And then eventually the church in Israel. We're going to see all of these conflicts between the older and the younger brother in these ways. Uh, and we're going to see this duality in the story again today. Um, this idea that you've been chosen so that you can be a blessing. You are blessed to bless. That is the purpose of salvation. I mean, and, and God is very clear when he is speaking to Abraham about that right up front. I'm blessing you so that you can bless the whole world. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. So the blessings were never something that was just for you. It was always to be poured out. Um, this, this contrast between the flesh and the senses and the spirit is another thing. We're going to see this conflict uh, that, uh, that we're going to have. The senses being deceptive, if you're not careful. And then God's providence. That's a huge one. God is not limited by our sin, right? We talked about this idea that some of the behavior we see, we need to remember not all the things that they do are good. Um, the Bible, largely, especially in these Old Testament narratives, is not always prescriptive. It's descriptive. It's saying what happened, and God manages it, but just because somebody did it didn't mean that's what you should do. Okay? And that's a really important distinction. This is a much more complex book than I think most, a, a lot of casual modern readers want to give it. Um, it, is a, it is a book that has a whole lot more to say than a simple, hey, do this, don't do this. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a moral, it's moralistically trite way of dealing with this, um, with the scripture. So, all right. Reminder also, Jacob is deceived by his sight in the dark. 
with his uh, two brides, right? Last week we talked about Jacob and two women. Did anybody go listen to some Rich Mullins music after last week? I just want to know. I did. Y'all should. It's, it's good for your soul. Um, so remember, Jacob stole the firstborn blessing, is now being accused of stealing the firstborn. So remember, he wanted to marry the younger, but he had to have the elder, and he said, you're basically stealing the birthright of the elder by trying to marry the younger. So once again, it's that getting what you deserve, kind of justice kind of thing. Um, the marriage with Leah is providential, but not necessarily Jacob's preference. And we're going to get into that more when we talk about who the sons are. Uh, and that's really kind of at the end. Hey, guys, I think there's a chair somewhere over here. Um, we've got one here, and we've got one over there. They're, they're all kind of spread out. Tell you what, Maddie, is there a... Okay, okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, speaking of children, here's a reminder of how this, this plays out. We're over here with Jacob. Jacob, last week we talked about all the four wives. Uh, Rachel, whom he loved. Leah, the elder. Leah with all of these sons. Rachel with all these. Then we dragged two maidservants into this to, to make the dysfunctional family even more dysfunctional. Um, and then we get down into all of these children. And we're going we're gonna to talk about the children later on, but today... We're still going to be primarily talking about Jacob and specifically Esau because it all comes full circle now. He ran away 20 years ago, and now he's coming back home. And so we're going to talk about what that's going to look like. Um, in terms of where this is, I want you guys to kind of have a framework for understanding uh, kind of the geography of what's going on. So if you'll remember, when Jacob first flees from Esau, they're camped at Beersheba. Okay? So if we're talking about Israel proper, this is down off the, the, uh, to, the, um, to the west of the Dead Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee. So all of Jesus' ministry around Capernaum and things like this are up here. Um, Hebron is down here, and that is to the west of the Dead Sea. If we're looking over here, we'd be talking about this region over in this direction. Jerusalem's here. Okay. Galilee is way up here, which is why they made fun of Jesus. They said, what good you know, can come out of Nazareth and Galilee? That was, that was hill country. That was like the country, right? So that was up there. The other thing we're going to talk about today is this area over in what is today Jordan. Um, and uh, so we've got, we've got Jacob running away. He runs all the way up to Haran, the land of his ancestors, leaves with nothing. Then he's going to run all the way back out. Uh, and, um, and Laban, if you'll remember, is going to follow him. Laban literally, once again, this is kind of one of those things that's lost on us because we don't necessarily know the geography. But when it says, you know, and I was thinking, well, Laban chases, you know, may, maybe he chased him to here. No, he chased him to here, okay? So Laban, he, he had a thing to, to, to deal with, right? And so he literally chases him all the way down to here. And this is really where... Our story picks up because he has this final kind of making a deal with Laban. You stay there. We're going to go this way. Don't cross the pillar. We got a deal. And so Laban turns around and goes back. And then he turns around and is like, oh, yeah, Jacob and Esau. Esau I got to deal with now, right? So that is where the story takes place today, okay? And that is this area called Sukkoth or Mahanaim. And south down here... This is the area, Seir, which is uh, the, um, the, the, the land of Edom. Eventually, it's the land of Esau's basic uh, territory at this point. So Esau is, is down here with all of his family, and Jacob is here. Okay, So kind of another way of looking at this. I thought this was a cool map. I find cool stuff every once in a while, but this is another good way of looking at it. So we've come all the way back from Haran down here to the Jabbok River, and it's on the eastern side of the Jordan River, which connects the Dead Sea uh, and the uh, Sea of Galilee. So they're going to come through here, and I'm actually going to show you some pictures of this area. It's a valley. The Jabbok River is still there. I mean, so when you talk about the Jabbok River, you can go to the Jabbok River. You can go to the fords of the Jabbok to this day. There's some areas we're going to talk about, like Peniel, where they think that they basically know where it is. Um, and so looking south, now we're kind of turned around here, you got Jordan to the east, the Dead Sea straight ahead, Jerusalem over here, the Jabbok River coming in here, and this area, which is kind of the Jordan Valley, 
Nat, uh, basically, Galilee would be behind us, okay? This is the area where all this stuff is happening, okay? So, we're going to start with 32, verse 1. So, let's do this today. Um, if I could have some help reading this morning, who would like to take verses 1 through 5? Got it? 6 through 10. Got it? 11 through 15. Okay. Uh, 16 through 20. Got it? 21 through 30. Actually, we'll do 21 through 32, all the way to the end, through 32. Um, and, or 20, I'm sorry, it was 20. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then 33, 33, 1 through 5. Got it? 6 through 10. Okay. And 11 through 15. Okay, perfect. And I'll take the last one, 16 through 20. Okay. All right. Once again, as always, we're looking for those themes. We're looking for those hyperlinks to other texts. We're looking for all those places where we've seen um, other things happening and you're seeing the repetition. So be looking for those. Okay. So 32, 1 through 5. Let's go.
Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground. Seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children of God. They have perished to be in your children. Then the maid servants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterwards, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the place is named Sukkoth. Now Jacob came safely to the land of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram and camped before the city. And he bought the piece of land when he had pitched his tent from the lands of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. All right, so comments, observations. What do you see? What do you notice? What do you wonder? Maybe significant, the fact, and it will be super important later on when we're talking about favorites again, right? Um, so he put the the maids first, then he put Leah and the kids, and then at the end Rachel and Joseph, specifically Joseph, important. Okay, what else? The man wrestles. Good. Surprising grace and forgiveness from Esau. Okay. Esau seems to have changed, right? Okay. Anybody else think Jacob still sounds suspicious? And it may be kind of biased forgiveness. Yes. Yes. And then insisted on it. Uh huh. And it may fall under wisdom that he's learned because somebody can say they forgive you and then harbor a grudge, but if you make sure that they're well taken care of, it does kind of swallow you down. Sure. What else? What else you notice? Both were blessed. 
And if you'll remember, if you go back to uh, Isaac's blessing, he does end up blessing Esau, right? He just doesn't have the birthright, right? The primary birthright. What else? Jacob seems to be, I mean, he's praying to God. He's very serious about what he's saying. And he's, it, it's very different than 20 years ago when he left. This is the first recorded account of Jacob praying. Jacob initiates it. He doesn't just have a vision. He prays. going to be an important an important question to ask when does that happen right yeah okay he gets a limp and a new name and a new name super important i found out i found it interesting how prudent he was with his gifts he had when he measured them out it mm-hmm. was the same Mm-hmm. There's quite a disparity. Right. So, okay, so that's a, a good point. Um, if you're giving gifts, and gifts are livestock, what's more valuable, males or females? He gives way more females than males. So it's an extravagant gift in that respect. So it's a, <laughs> I guess they had enough, right? I don't know. <laughs> They, and spit. <laughs> he wants camels. I feel like his Jacob's first response was still fear. It was like then he divided everything into two groups. It was like, oh, Esau comes and attacks him. At least he'll only get half. And then he prays. Okay. So. Fear is still a big part of his decision-making process. And, and we know why he ordered the family the way that he did. Because if Esau was going to be violent, you know, mm-hmm. Valuable right. Be the yeah. So, guys, there, um, those are good. Those are good. Good catch on all of these. Um, there is so much happening. Um, th- this is just an extremely dense um, passage here in terms of what's happening um, with the language and with um, the, this event. Um, this mysterious wrestling match has just been the subject of commentary and fascination and meditation for millennia, uh, thousands of years. Not just the Christian church, but Jews have, have you know, wrestled with that concept. What, what, is, what is this? What's going on? So, um, at least according to some folks in Israel, this is in Jordan. This is on the Jordan side of the Israeli-Jordanian uh, border. Uh, that is the Jabbok running through here, the Ford. It is uh, held at this this uh, tell, and in, the, in Israel or in that part of the world, if you go to a place and it's called a tell, that means it's a mound, it's a heap or uh, a mountain. And this is the area it talks about, uh, and there is a belief that this is actually uh, Peniel. Um, so here's what's interesting. Um, when he leaves, he's encountering angels. When he comes back, he's encountering angels, Okay. Uh, it is the only time in the Old Testament where it refers to angels in the plural in that way, angels of God. He encounters angels of God at that stairway, and then coming back in, he encounters angels of God again. Um, what else I think is fascinating about this is this idea that the angels are camped on the outskirts of Israel, almost in the same way that the cherubim is put at the east entry to uh, Eden. Uh, so there is this there is this supernatural cosmic thing going on with the geography of the region. Um, and when he comes back in, what does he say? He says he sees two camps. Uh, and he calls the two camps. There's a camp of angels there, and then Jacob's family. And there's that duality again, right? This idea of two, okay? He talks about this idea of two. Um, so moving forward, Jacob sends a messenger, okay? Before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. By the way, does anybody know why Edom's called Edom? Like down the road, our Edom? If I had to guess, it's because of the red dirt. I, I, because, you know, we all the, the red dirt and the red rocks all over this part of the... I, 
I could only guess at that, but I'm guessing that probably had something to do with it. Um, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor. Um, notice the juxtaposition. Jacob has the blessings, but look who he's blessing. Okay, It's true. It's true whether he wants it to be true or not. He got the blessing, and what is he doing? He's blessing. He's blessing the brother that he stole things from, right? Now, here's also another thing that's fascinating. Jacob consistently refers to himself as servant, and he refers to Esau as Adonai, which is Lord. So every time he refers to his brother, he refers to him in a subservient manner. You're the Lord, I'm the servant. Okay? Once again, it's as if he's learned humility or fear. You know, uh, it, could be, it could be both. Um, but he is giving um, what it is due in terms of being the elder brother, right? Um, no, this use of the word, once again, things that are lost on us in the poetry of the language. Uh, he talks about, um, so what happens? Um, Jacob comes into the land and runs into uh, a lot of Malik, uh, which are Malachim, these angels. And then what does he do? He sends out Malik messengers, because that's what a Malachim is. It's a, it's a messenger of God. And what does he do? He turns around and sends messengers ahead of him. So in that way, his messengers are acting on his behalf in the same way that messengers act on God's behalf to send things. So that's kind of cool. Um, we've got the two angel camps. Once again, they're just the twos. And the messengers return to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps. Two again, right? Um, and it's the brother, two, right? It's the two camps. It's the two brothers. It's two sisters fighting. It's, it's two all the way down, right? So you've got that duality all the way down here. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this, 400 is the uh, standard num number in the ancient Near East for a war party, Okay. So it's somewhat maybe implied that, there, that maybe he had a reason to be a little nervous because a, a, a group of 400 men coming with him is a war party. So, you know, maybe his fear is warranted. Um, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. It's still God of my father though, right? It's still not his. But he does initiate the prayer, Right? O Lord, who said to me, "Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may be my, that I may do good, uh, do you good." I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps, two camps again. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers and the children. But you said, "I'll surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude." Um, now, it's another interesting thing about this. He does, a little bit of, um, he does a little bit of editing with what God actually said to him. If you go back and look at 31.3, the very first part of that phrase is exactly what God said. And it starts with, I will be with you. Okay? He said, I'll be with you. Jacob says, that I may do you good. Okay? Which is actually implies more of a material kind of physical blessing. So... Um, it is, it is kind of an insight into what he's kind of reminding God. And by the way, a lot of times prayer is simply reminding God of his promises, which is really probably for you to remember what God's promises are more than anything else. And that's got to be what he's thinking. So I'm going to go through all of this only to have Esau come in and just kill us all. Is this, is this, is this how this is going to go down? Is this really what, what's going to happen here? And that's probably what he's thinking. Um... So, then we go in and we get all the animals. I skipped that part out, okay? Uh, the one thing to note about the animals, uh, out of the 550, about 490 were female. That's generous, okay? It's a very generous blessing on his part. Uh, and then he, he does all of this, um, tell the messengers to say this. Tell them this, you got a second messenger and a third, and they're just, they're coming in a little piece at a time, right? Maybe so they don't seem so overwhelming, maybe to continue. To, to truly show Esau I'm not a threat. I don't, I don't want you to be afraid of us coming into the land. Um, so, um, and then he sends this present, and the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed in the camp that night. 
interesting phrase here. Let me placate. Okay, so I, I basically pulled this from uh, Robert Alter's um, um, translation of this passage. And uh, I've, I've read some Alter to you guys before. He's kind of one of the most, the foremost um, uh, scholars with regard to what Genesis says, uh, and specifically in the Hebrew. Um, and his translation of that passage there is, let me placate him with the tribute that goes before me, and after I shall look on his face, perhaps he will show me a kindly face. Now, if you look at the passage, you know, as, as it's written, maybe in the, in the ESV, it doesn't necessarily translate that way, um, especially the face kind of idea, but it literally uses face four times in a row in the original Hebrew in a very, very deliberate way. So placate literally translates to cover his face, okay, specifically angry face. The idea is I'm covering your angry face. Um, before me translates to my face. Then uh, look on his face is a term that's normally used in the presence of royalty. And by the way, we see literally Jacob treating Esau like royalty. And then finally, show me a kind face. Um, that's the idea of showing a kind face is to lift somebody's face up in forgiveness. As you're looking down, somebody holds your face up to tell them, I forgive you. So there's a lot going on there, right? There's a lot going on there. And once again, uh, at, times, um, at, at times, we don't necessarily um, see it all. One might almost say it's salvation language. Very much so. Very much so. Quick question. Are mm -hmm. they actually Mm -hmm. Are we following Middle Eastern royalty? Um, yeah, I mean, so, so remember, we're talking about a Bedouin culture. Anybody who was head of a clan, I mean, they, they were like the king. Now, what's different about these guys? They roamed, right? They, they, were, still, they were still Bedouins. They were still moving from place to place. Normally, when you use that uh, terminology of monarchy, it's because somebody settled a city-state. And so they are like the king of Salem. Uh, the king of, uh, of, of, uh, of Shiloh, the king of, um, of Sodom, right? When you have those references to kings, it's because those people, have, they've, they've settled somewhere, right? But so. it said Jacob bought. <coughs> Is that not a settlement? Oh, uh, he begins to, right? He starts to buy the land in the same way that his dad started to buy land. So it's a slow process of, I'm purchasing land here, I'm purchasing, because he's going to buy land at the end. And he's going to get up and move again, which is, it's like. So then do they still own the land when they leave, or does yeah. he sell it? Yeah, it doesn't say that he sells it. But they own. And they begin to own larger and larger swaths of land. Yeah. So that same night, he arose, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, crossed the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What's your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Um, the man here is not Adam. It's not the term Adam. Uh, it's a different word for man. It's not the man, it is a man. Okay? Um, Israel, interestingly enough, will still continue to go by both names. That's not true of Abraham. That's not true of Sarah. That's not true of all these other folks that get a new name. They get a new name, and they go by that new name. Not Jacob. Jacob is referred to as Jacob when he's acting like Jacob. Jacob is referred to as Israel when he's acting like Israel. So, I don't know. I, I think there's something very comforting in that to know. Right. <laughs> yes. In my house, it was John Bryant Keeling. Right. Don't use the middle name. Right. Um, so, I want to read something that Alter uh, says about this because um, he can say it a lot better than I can. Um, not Jacob, but Israel. Abraham's change of names was mere rhetorical flourish compared to this one. 
For all the patriarchs, Jacob is the one whose life is entangled in moral ambiguities. Uh, the, uh, the Rabbi Rashi beautifully catches the resonance of the name change. It will no longer be said that the blessings came to you through deviousness, or okba, a word suggested by the radical crookedness in the name of Jacob, but instead through lordliness, serara, a root that can be extracted from the name Israel and openness. It's nevertheless noteworthy, and to my knowledge has not, not, not been noted, that the pronouncement about the new name is not completely fulfilled. Whereas Abraham is invariably called Abraham once the name is changed from Abram, the narrative continues to refer to this patriarch in most instances as Jacob. Thus Israel does not really replace his name, but becomes a synonym for it, a practice reflected in the parallelism of biblical poetry where Jacob is always used in the first half of the line and Israel the poetic variation in the second half. So that's cool. Um, okay, so let's talk about this wrestler, okay? Um, so this is fascinating um, how Judaism has dealt with this uh, throughout history and how all sorts of different um, scholars want to approach this. Who is this that, uh, that wrestles with, uh, with Jacob? And uh, one of the way, and by the way, this is the, the Jabbok to this day. This is somewhere near the area that, uh, that Jacob and his family would have been traveling along this Jabbok River where he'd eventually crossed over and gone into, uh, into Canaan. So um, there are arguments that this was a demon, mainly because it was some sort of spirit that stopped Jacob from going forward, and he came at night. And the whole idea of why would it ask him, hey, the sun's coming up, let me go, that kind of idea that there's an association with these demons, that sort of thing. You also have kind of the mythical uh, idea of the troll who, you know, have you heard the troll that hides under a bridge? Right? That you have to have a toll to cross. What's that? There, were, there, were goats in the there are goats in the story. That is very true. Um, so, so yeah, there is there is that idea. Um, when it comes to most Jewish sources, they will simply say that this is an angel. Okay. Um, yes, but when you come over to Christian sources, it's pretty definitively uh, believed that this was God. This was, and and for a couple of reasons. Partly because of the way they talk to one another. And partly because um, God gives Jacob a new name after this. By the way, would this be the first time that the beginning of the conversation that happens, uh, it begins by describing the encounter like an angel, but then eventually it's revealed to be the angel of, of God or, or to be God himself. We see this uh, back with the uh, um, Hagar, I don't know if you remember the instance with Hagar in the desert when at first it was an angel, but the more they talk, you realize, wait, that's not an angel, that's God talking to her. Uh, we see the same thing with Abraham earlier on. By the way, i got to share this. So I'm doing a, a really cool thing with uh, my, my Bible classes at Grace. We're doing theophanies. We're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. And um, I ran across one from my good friend uh, Blaine Davis, who teaches English. He's taking a really cool seminary class on a bunch of really interesting things right now, but... Okay, so do you remember the flaming sword and the, uh, and the, the, the clay pot of fire? Remember that? When the, they, they cut the covenant, when Abraham makes a covenant with Yahweh and there's, you've got the two, the two halves, that kind of thing. And we said that's kind of weird. I mean, it's strange, but we talked about the fact that obviously when you, this was a, this was a ceremony that was done in the ancient Near East. When you made a covenant with someone, you cut uh, the sacrifices in half and walk between them. And you're basically like you saying, if you break the covenant, may this be what happens to me. And we said this was that God walked through. And God walked through, and we say symbolically, as this flaming sword and a, and a smoking fire pot. Um, so there are some uh, church fathers that have pointed out, notice there's two things. Why was it two things walking or coming through? Because I, I kind of envisioned just floating through. But why would there be two things walking through? Because Jesus has two hands. I was like, that's pretty cool. Because remember, who is sacrificed? Jesus is sacrificed. So anyway, I thought that was super cool. It's just really neat. Anyway, back to, we got to be careful when we see these instances. Uh, and this is something I ask my kids. Whenever God talks to somebody in the Old Testament, what is it? How do you picture it? 
You guys, how do you usually picture it? Like in your head, what's going on when God talks to somebody in the Old Testament? I mean, we've talked about this before. Hearing voices. You hear a voice, a disembodied voice, right? Coming out of the sky. Or, uh, we actually show them a clip from the, uh, the Ten Commandments. When Moses gets the Ten Commandments and there's this, this like fiery thing comes in and starts writing on the wall, that kind of thing. That, that, and anytime God speaks, it's just this wall, you know, out of the sky, that kind of thing. That's not what the text says. The text is always extremely embodied. Uh, a man shows up. A man wrestles. So let's, let's just go down that road for a minute. That's, that's strange. Then Jacob asked him, Tell me your name. But he said, Why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Uh, Peniel literally means face of God. Um, there's that face language again. Once again, you know, there's the poetry of it that's going on. Um, the sun rose upon him as he passed, Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. I almost went down a rabbit trail with this this morning, but we don't have time. There's all sorts of interesting commentary about this, and um, we just won't even go there. Peniel, face of God. The sun rises on a new Jacob. That's obviously meant to... Uh, by the way... Jacob's deception was always in the dark, right? And now we have this new Jacob that steps out into the light, right? And is changed, right? This is somebody, Jacob, which literally means he who acts crookedly is made physically crooked so that he could be straight, so that he could be made straight, to be made Israel. Yeah. So this isn't the only time that God meets a certain patriarch on the way into place where he has to do work and is a physical threat to him. Moses is nearly killed by God on the way to Egypt. Any That's another, that is another one of those passages we had our classes look at, which just totally freaked them out. They're like, what is going on here? And you know, yeah. You know, you mentioned the Jebbik River, and I don't remember the details surrounding this, maybe this will spark a memory in you, but wasn't there some kind of wordplay on Jebbik and Jacob? I don't know. I haven't run across any because I thought the same thing. There's somewhere in the back of my head somewhere where I think I've run across that before, but I didn't run across it in any of the commentaries this time around, so I don't really know. Um, yeah, yeah, I know, right? So this is, uh, this is um, the Jabbok River. I mean, like I said, you can go there today. It's like, it's like I love what Chris said last week when he was talking about the, the reason why we really encourage people to go to Israel is it's such an embodied experience and it's to remind you it's a real place. These are writ. Don't read this like a fairy tale, like some place that, eh. And there is nothing like walking around a place that you've been reading about your entire life, right? Um, so that's super cool. Um, okay, wrestling with God. I don't know how you image this or wrestling with an angel. Probably the most famous uh, image is this one. Have you guys ever seen this one before? Maybe even a It's an engraving. It's by Gustav Dorr. Um, this is from the 19th century. Um, I've seen this. It's, an, it's literally an engraving, but I've also seen it colored and painted and things like that. Um, this is the Rembrandt, okay? Um, which just looks like a very mellow wrestling match. Um, it's, that's... I, he looks like he's sleeping. As, uh, he, yeah, I, and yeah, yeah, and I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, that, I don't know. How about this one? This is Tassat. Y'all know I love uh, James Tassat's paintings, but because they always make me think of things differently, okay? Because he really did research the dress and the what did it look like, and, and even the terrain there by the Jabbok. I mean, he went down, he went to Israel to do all of his paintings. So he went to all these places and painted them as he saw them. So, so that's an interesting, um, so close your eyes for a minute. What do you think of when you think of wrestling? Okay, just close your eyes, picture it. What do you think of? How many of you think of this? 
I mean, I, I don't know. That, and that's one of those, it's like, we're supposed to think about wrestling with this man uh, in a grapple, right? Where he, he holds him and he won't let him go, right? Um, there's a lot of very interesting other, other artwork on this. This is another one that I, I ran across uh, by Jack uh, Baumgartner. This one, a lot of people, there's a lot of commentary on this particular painting because there's a whole lot going on in there. You've got it at night, the stars crossing through the sky, uh, this mysterious figure that we don't know who it is. You know, who, who, who is this, right? Um, and then just the whole question of what, is it, what does it mean to wrestle with God? Um, so we're going to come back to that. Let's go forward a little bit, all right? Um, all right. So Jacob lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. Remember, 400 is the number of a war party. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the servants with the children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. When we start trying to figure out why they hated Joseph so much, just remember this. What did he do? He made sure Joseph was protected. Because, well, he was with Rachel, and Rachel was his favorite, right? So that's going to be important, okay? Um, he comes in, he bows down seven times. Uh, that is an ancient Near Eastern custom when you're approaching royalty. That's what you do. It's a, it's a, it's a custom that not only he did, but also uh, the family did. This, um, this is another inversion. Is he sends in the least favored because he's expecting punishment, but they're the first to meet a blessing. Yes, and here's the other thing. There's a lot of that. There's some commentaries on the uh, the idea that Jacob is being a coward. This would have been the practice of any ancient Near Eastern Bedouin potentate. You 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 put folks in front of you. You're at the back. Okay. You you run the family out in front of you. You're at the back. That that would have been a normal thing. Now the fact that he did it the way he did it. That that was probably deliberate. Okay. Um, so, what a difference 20 years makes, right? So he comes in, he sees Esau. The last time he saw Esau, Esau was ready to kill him. I want to ask you guys, had a very interesting experience this summer. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, died over the summer, a childhood friend, and uh, I had to go talk at his funeral. And uh, I got together with our common friends ahead of time to talk uh, about what all we were going to say. Um, and, we, and it, it was fascinating. When you haven't seen somebody for a really long time, it was really interesting. There's just affection there. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I don't know if anybody else has experienced anything like that when you go to a reunion or those kind of things. We don't do reunions like we used to because Facebook um, and stuff. But I was, I was shocked and surprised how much my affection for those people had grown. And I had not seen them in 20 years. Actually, I hadn't seen them in 30 years because some of them I hadn't seen literally since high school. And it makes me wonder, you know, it's that whole time heals wounds, and it, it does make me wonder about, it seems that Esau's forgotten the stuff that made him mad. Of course, Esau's been blessed, right? It's not like Esau's living in a cave, right? Um, in some ways, you might wonder, has Esau's life been easier since he left? Who's had the harder life? I mean, think, Jacob's been working hard for 20 years, right? Um, we don't really know what Esau's experience is. Um, and just the notion that how much do you think this has to do with, with God going forward and God um, assuaging uh, Esau's anger and his, his hurt at what had happened to him and that sort of thing. Um, and it doesn't hurt that Jacob came in humbly. I mean, we, we talk about, is he just being afraid? It's like, okay, say he's afraid. Is it still wrong? Is it still wrong for him to come to his brother in this way? What are you going to say? I'm sure I missed it somewhere, but does it really say Esau was mad that he had his birthright? Mm-hmm. You know, initially it was like he really didn't care or didn't value him very much. Before he left, he, said, he basically said, I'm going to kill him. And that's why uh, Rachel. Uh, that's why uh, Rebecca told him to leave, because your brother's going to try to kill you. So yeah, he he was breathing out threats. I mean, we we are. I'm going to kill you. 
to, to this. Um, not only that, they, they, um, they, they have this like emotional ceremony, right? This, this emotional kind of coming back together. Once again, here's Tassad again. I love his paintings. They just, I don't know, they seem really, really rich. This is Jacob waiting to meet Esau. And here is Jacob and Esau embracing. Now, what does it look like they're doing? I think that's purposeful. I think that's purposeful. I love the way that, plus uh, <laughs> I'm crack. I, I love the way Tassad paints uh, Esau because he's, he's kind of plump. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has noticed that. He's a, he's a big guy, right? He's happy, uh, well-fed, right? Um, so, so there is this thing going on. You've got the family there watching. and anyway, But it looks kind of like they're still wrestling, right? It still looks that way. I like what you said about the work. Maybe his life has been easier because Jacob left with nothing. So Isaac had been blessed. Where did all his flock have been hurt? Right. Oh, he did. He absolutely did because they don't even know if he's alive, right? Jacob just left, right? So he leaves. Isaac's still there because we're going to see Isaac again coming up in another chapter or so when he passes away because the brothers will go both go back to bury him. Um, so Esau's just been there. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight, my lord. Once again, using that Adonai language, okay? Um, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I found favor in your sight. By the way, have you noticed a lot of sight, face language again? In your sight, seeing. It's that same kind of language we've seen all the way throughout. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. Okay? That whole idea of seeing the face of God through what? Forgiveness, through family. Uh, it reminds me of the Les Mis song, you know, there at the end. Uh, somebody help me out. I don't remember the exact phrase, but uh, it's like, what is it? Having a friend is seeing the face of God. I can't remember. Poor prep on my part. Anyway, so Jacob said, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. You have accepted me. Please accept my blessings that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Some translations say, I have everything. Which that would make you read that a little differently, right? Do they both use the same phrase then? It's a little different. It's different. It is different. Uh, the, the language is a little bit different there. Uh, and that's why some of the commentaries try to emphasize that he's... You can read that in a, a couple of different ways. This whole idea of I have enough that Jacob is literally saying, no, I have everything, uh, which means something very different than I have enough, right? Um, my brother is an affectionate term. This is, this is a term of affection, the way that it's used. Um, see your face, which is the exact same thing he said about the person he wrestled with, the man he wrestled with. Um, oh, here's what else is wild. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt gracious with me and because I have enough. Accept my blessing. He literally says, take my blessing. It is the exact same phrase that was used whenever Isaac was talking to Esau about him saying, Jacob took my blessing. Yeah. Did you want the lyrics to the language? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. It says, take my hand, I'll lead you to salvation. Take my love, for love is everlasting. And remember the truth that once was spoken. To love another person is to see the face of God. There you go. I knew it was something like that. So, cool. It seems like Thank Jacob you. isn't the only one who's learned humility. Right, saying, right. my Lord, and yeah. saying, my brother. But then, we still live in the real world. And they start to have some practical considerations. Esau's like, come on back with us. He's like, no, we're good. <laughs> we're going to hang back. And then he gives these excuses about the animals dying. And that's, that's, that's kind of weird. Um, so Esau said, let me leave some of these people who are with me. And he said, yeah, it's all right. I don't need your guys. Take them with you, that kind of thing. So maybe there is still some, some suspicion there. Um, but Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built himself a house. 
and made booths for his livestock. Okay? Uh, if you guys remember, we've talked about Sukkoth in the past when we talked about the Feast of Booths um, in the, uh, uh, the Israeli uh, or the Jewish calendar of celebrations. Therefore, the name of this place is called Sukkoth. Okay? They go different directions. Okay? And that's kind of the point. They're supposed to go in different directions. Uh, but they do so in peace. All right. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he brought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar, and he called it El Elohi Israel. Okay. Continued, like we're talking about, the purchase of land. So just like Isaac... Uh, before had started buying land over in that other territory, we have this, this slow buying of land. So that, that creates this acclaim on the land. Okay, back to the wrestling. So I want us to come back to this. When you think of wrestling and you go WWE or the Gustav door where we're just kind of, you know, that kind of thing, I think we should see it more like this. Like this. That's a little more intense, I think. Um, and how about this one? It's much more intimate. Okay. Um, what I was trying to pull up earlier and I couldn't get it to pull up. Um, there's an interesting, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there's a scene in uh, the second Matrix film. Um, they're doing a Matrix like sequel again this year so the nerd in me rejoices uh the first first film was was pretty cool second one eh, third one hot mess so anyway um but there's a scene in the second film where the main character neo uh goes to meet this other character and encounters someone called seraph an angel and they have a fight and uh and then finally the seraph goes stop and he goes what and he's like um i'm seraph I'm here to take you, you know, over here. And he's like, okay, well, why, 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 this, why this? And he's like, you don't really know someone until you fight them. And it's like, and it was an interesting comment. So as far as I know, we've only got one person in this room who's done MMA, right? <laughs> what would you say to that? That idea of the, the intimacy of, what is that like? I mean, I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you get a jab in on them and they react hotly, and you know you can you can back off, but you can kind of tell that that's how they're going to act in real life without the sparring. Uh huh. Uh, somebody who's calm, they're much more under control. You can just tell a lot about their personality mm -hmm. just by how they react. And, you know, can can they do they act well under pressure? You know, do, do they? Keep their head. You know, uh, if they're in a tough spot, are they freaking out, or are they thinking about what's the next move? So. Yeah, that's good. Um, here's the other thing, and this is one of the fascinating things that I've uh, in watching the MMA stuff and the, the Ultimate Fighting. That if you've watched any of it at all, you know the ones that win are the ones that grapple. Because that's how it all ends. I mean, you can sit back and, and go like Bruce Lee all day if you want to, but at the end of the day, somebody's going to grab you and is going to take you to the, the ground and choke you out. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how these things end. They end like this. They always end in a grapple on the ground. And so when I think of this wrestling with God, it's, it's meant to be, this is intimate. This is, I'm going to hang on to you and you can't make me let go. That's what Jacob's doing. With a submission hold. Yes. Like that, you submit at the end. Right. Doing. Well, there's a submission. Well, yes. What, what, is, what does this character do? Submit, there's consequences to pay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, but how does it end, though? We check out. Well, but... He's prevailed. Okay, it says that he prevails, but God also... 
Well, here's the thing. That, that right, and, and here's an interesting thing about that because there's some, there's some wordplay on the way it talks about, like some will say he, he afflicted his hip or afflicted the sinew or, you know, the, the, the joint, but most people agree that he touched it, that it wasn't a violent blow, that it was almost like a pressure point. It's like he didn't, he knew exactly where to touch him and knew exactly how to touch him to get what he wanted. And, and he walks away from this a different person, right? He walks away from this spiritually a different person. He walks away from this physically a different person, right? You almost hear a, an echo of what's going to happen with Paul a lot later when he talks about the thorn in the flesh that God has given him that keeps him humble. Right. For sure. Um, so I, wanna, I do want to close by reading something to you guys. Um, if my computer will behave, and I can actually bring this up. So I ran across this this week because this, this really jumped out at me about this, this concept of reading with God. Um, this is a priest that shared this about this whole idea of wrestling. And, and once again, um, we don't want to make too much of a metaphor out of this. This is something that really happened, right? He really did physically wrestle with someone. And it always helps me now to think of Jesus. He was wrestling with Jesus. That's who he was wrestling with, right? Um, so what would that look like? Sure. Okay, so hearkening back to this matrix reference, it's kind of an invitation of getting to know you. Uh huh. Where, where's Tom's voice? I think it's too because Jacob misquoted his own blessing, saying that God will benefit me uh -huh. in a way. And, and, and then he turns around and wrecks his hip, right? Uh huh. It's not always pleasant. Sometimes it hurts. How'd this start? Yeah, and I I'm waiting for this to be done in film. Yeah, and right? I think of my kids, you know, when they hold on to your legs and they won't let go. It's like, and you're walking, you know, and you're trying to walk. Okay. Hit, that's, I think of dads wrestling with their kids. I mean, at any point in time, <laughs> you could do whatever you wanted. But it's like you say, it's like that, I'm not going to let go. You know, they grab onto your leg, that sort of thing. Let, let me read this to you guys, and, and we'll close with this today, because um, my encouragement to you guys is that I think wrestling with God is engaging with God and not letting go. But engaging with Him specifically. Okay, This is what this passage says. That brings us to the first problem. How can a man wrestle with God? How can the text suggest that Jacob sees God face to face, much less hold Him in an unbreakable grip throughout the night? I don't know, but it does. And this is the striking character of the biblical witness. What some would dismiss as a primitive nonsense, the Bible presents as an unvarnished account. The God of the Christians can not only enter into a wrestling match, he can lose. Passages such as this should not be taken as some extreme anthropomorphism. They should be taken at face value and allowed to speak the mystery with which they are a witness. The story was told and no editor's hand throughout the centuries has ever sought to fix it or make it more palatable. Of course the God of Jacob is also the incarnate God-man Jesus Christ. He is not only susceptible to wrestling, he's capable of being nailed to a cross and suspended above the earth. And this is so much the point. As one who has spent plenty of time in the middle of the night pondering my life, God and everything else, I can say that those things worth considering are never just vague generalities. I've never wondered how I might love mankind but I've agonized more than once on how I might love a single person. We never wrestle in general. Real wrestling is personal, particular, and face-to-face. -face. The spiritual life rightly lived is a constant movement towards the particular. It becomes more specific with every moment. 
Modern religious thought is rife with vague words. It tempts us with generalized association and abstract loyalties. At its worst, it marries itself to utility and seeks to do good and help people and measures its goodness and help with the yardstick of some vague noble goal. Utility is the measuring stick of the infernal regions. The generalities of utilitarianism breed pride. The arrogance of modern man is found in the absurdity of broad designs like the war on poverty, take democracy to the world, equality, fraternity, and liberty. But it's the intricacy and intractability of very specific human persons and their struggles that humbles us. This pattern of action is seen in God himself. For God, not even a single sparrow falls, but he knows it. The hairs of our head are numbered, and he calls us each by name. God cannot be avoided by hiding in the crowd. He seeks us out and challenges us to wrestle. He waits for us to seize him and hold him and demand his blessing. He longs for us to grip him in such a manner that he can wither a thigh and change our name. Let me pray for you all. Father, thank you so much um, for an account of Jacob and his wrestling and that you allowed this flawed man to not only wrestle with you, but to prevail. And you still wanted to use him to bless other people. And you constantly were trying to tell him not to be afraid. And you were constantly telling him what his purpose is. And he still screwed it up. And that's us. So God, I pray for all of us this week. You'd help us to wrestle. To wrestle well. To hang on to your leg and not let go. And Father, um, if that means touching our, our, our hip, um, if that's what it takes, okay. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Guys, y'all have a fantastic week.